Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. Your favorite church unity podcast. Probably. If you want to hear from pastors, professors, and everything in between. Right, sure. And, you know, the occasional train talk. Right, right, yeah. Uh, have we got the podcast for you? All right, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua. And this is your co-host, Tiberius Ron. Yep, just TJ. Uh, we're joined by guests. Is it pastor or father? As pastor. Pastor Scott Suckovic. Nope. <laughs> no, how's it? What is it? It's uh, Suskovic. Suskovic. Yeah. Can I go with Pastor Scott? Is that okay? Pastor Scott is uh, perfect. That's what most of the congregation says. That sounds easier for me. And uh, we're actually recording on the 502nd anniversary of when Martin Luther hung his 95 thesis. And uh, we're pastor of the Lutheran Church, so we haven't said that yet. So. Yeah, the church might be interested in that. Yeah. Christ Lutheran here in Charlotte. Yep. Yeah. And. Um, if I understand right, uh, that's actually how Halloween started. Martin Luther just really liked spooky movies, sat down, and that's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah. how we, why we started doing this on October 31st, right? It was probably on All Hallows' Eve, oh, the yeah. day before <laughs> Hallows' Eve, and it kind of shortened to Halloween over time. It's had nothing to do with Martin Luther. Nothing. Like nothing. Spooky movies or any of those parties or anything. It's just not scary. Nothing. Yeah, well, it was for a whole <laughs> There was a lot of death. You know, it's kind of cast spooky. So was there like a good bit? Is there like something you guys do today that is different, or it was just kind of? Do y'all celebrate the day? Reverent. Well, I've got some uh, candy I'm going to hand out to kids, but I don't think that's uniquely Lutheran. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But we don't we don't have anything. What we do have is that um, the last Sunday of every October is Reformation Sunday. Now, I don't know if the Pentecostals celebrate Reformation Sunday or the Methodists or Presbyterians. Not a whole lot. Lutherans celebrate that a lot. I don't think the Catholic Church brings it up at all. <laughs> um, but last Sunday of, uh, of October, which was last week, we, um, we hit it hard every time, remembering those Lutheran um, confessional roots. Is there any way uh, online or something we could see that? or is it... Yeah, yeah. We're um, on our website. You can go to the archive of our online worship, and you can... Uh... And the theme was, lest we forget. Yeah. Pretty unique. So now I know. It's Sunday in October. I need to go to a Lutheran church. Right. And we yeah. send out an email to the whole congregation, remind them it's Reformation Sunday, and everybody wears red. Oh, wow. Whoa. Everybody That's wears cool. red. And because, um, liturgically speaking, red is the color for Reformation Sunday, because red is the color for any time connected with the Holy Spirit, ah, okay. such as Pentecost, or, or ordination would be the color red as well, or confirmation would be red. So, unless you're wearing a kind of pinkish shirt today, you just kind of fade it out. I am week. still in the Reformation mode. Sunday or... We're right in between <laughs> Reformation and All Saints. Well, so we've already kind of got to some of the meat, but we do like to do an icebreaker question. Right. Yeah. So uh, just so we can get speaking freely, which usually is a problem. We don't really need to, yeah. We like to do this anyway. But it is fun. Just so. To be goofy. If you could live in any historical literature world, what would you pick? Like classic literature. Classic. Not history. Classic literature. Which would you pick? And we can go for just know that he can pick out some Wonderland. It's my favorite books. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland. I'm not going to pick it because I just feel like it's it's too anti-logic. Like, I just don't think I could 
I don't think I'd make it back. Like I wouldn't make it through the experience. So are you are you asking? Do I want to be in that? Um, if you had to live in that fictional or non-fiction, it, it can be either. This is classic literature. You can live through, you can live through Moby Dick if you want. I don't know why you would want. But you can. That's <laughs> such free option. Um, I could pick the Odyssey, the Iliad, any of those. You know. If I was being brave, which I think I, I think I'm going to be brave for this one, I'll, I'll go first. I think I would choose to live through the Sleepy Hollows. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I love on it. Halloween. It's such a good, such a good book. Well, I've been re-listening to it throughout this week. I got it on Audible, so I've just been going through it. I'm like, you know, it's just a good book. I mean, I probably wouldn't make it through. Yeah, a slight chance of being murdered. Yeah. yeah. Just, but yeah. it's such a fun like. It has a good tone to it. I just like it. Right. It's so different than what I'm used to. I think it'd be good. I think it'd be interesting. Just kind of dive in. I think uh, I think I would choose Oliver Twist, just because you know I think it'd be fun it, for a little while there at least. It looked like Oliver Twist was having a good time being a <laughs> part of a pickpocketing troop with some friends. I want some more. Oh, please, sir. <laughs> please, sir. <laughs> please, sir. I want some more. Did oh. you say some more? <laughs> <laughs> So is, uh, is Luther's um, book, The Bondage of the Will, is that classic, oops, is that classic literature? Uh, the Bondage of the Will? Arms reach. You were ready. <laughs> was it, when was it written? Well, 1520-something. Uh, 1520-something uh, is classic. Bondage of the Will really was um, one of his um, pivotal books in that it talks about do we have free will or not? Mm. Now, if we're talking about all the Protestants out there. Yeah, so we're going to go to that Calvinist stuff now? Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. here we've got, we've got the Calvinists on one side who really talk about this predestination. Everything happens according to God's sovereign plan, right? And then the other side, we have the Armenians, which are you guys, the Pentecostals, which means, yeah. which means that everything is all free will, it's up to you, you know, you can choose, decide, accept, or whatever else. That language doesn't make sense in the Calvin. We are where we typically find ourselves as Lutherans right in the middle. When it comes to things of God, we would agree with Calvin. That is, we cannot, in our carnal fleshly self, desire the things of God. In that way, we'll say we have a bound will. But when it comes to... Am I going to order Rocky Road ice cream or vanilla chip ice cream? We have complete free will. We would go on the Armenian side. Decision for me, though. Yeah. That's so we're right in between. That's the bind to the will. I went to Charleston Southern. Oh, yeah. Dr. Beck was my uh, theology professor. And that was your complete free will to choose that college. Three times. But he was, um, he's been on the podcast before, Dr. Beck, actually, but... He he did that when he went through the Calvinist and Arminian stuff. Yep. Yeah. Like try to like get everybody on his side and like made his own quiz and stuff. And I was like two point Calvinist and two point Arminian. He's like you're just nothing. And I was like oh that's that's but you might actually turns out no most people when I push them a little bit they find out they're actually Lutheran. They just don't know it. You are Lutheran and I bet you just don't know it. That's and we'll, we'll discover it here today. Surprise, you're Lutheran. Yeah. Surprise, you're Lutheran. Because okay. it is really the best theology out there, and you'll find out during this podcast. All right. I would uh, be kind of disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> if you don't think that, at least that's probably not that yeah, great. That'd be an issue. Oh man! Well, uh, so that, even the icebreaker that, that got deep. Yeah. We uh, so we were talking to you, or I talked to you about a week ago on the phone about doing the podcast, and you mentioned a lot of people kind of think it's looking just Catholic white. Uh, why? Why is that? Why do people think that? Where does that come from? Well, I think because um, we are we are what we call a liturgical. Uh, a church. And what that means is that we typically um, follow the church year. That is, we have a season of Advent and Epiphany and Easter and Pentecost and so on. Um, so we've, we've got those seasons, we've got the colors that are associated with each season that we have either as stoles that we wear or pyramids on the altar. Um, our worship service typically has uh, that liturgical flow. That is, it, it will begin with an opening song, and then there will be some sort of a confessional part, and then a reading of scripture followed by um, a sermon, and then um, oftentimes will be a communion. And then, so it, it follows that liturgical flow to it. So, and so that it looks, our, our, our worship service follows a lot of the Catholic Mass way back when. Right, which makes sense because it was yeah. like directly first. coming out of Catholic yeah. We were the first ones. Right. Of all the protesters, the Protestants, <laughs> we were the first ones. And I think, I think Luther probably considered himself a good Catholic priest. Even in the very end when he was married to Catherine von Bora and had six children. It was the Catholics, of course, that kicked him out. And the word Lutheran, he never wanted to create a church with his name. It was one of those Lutherans, yes. They were, it was a derogatory name, much like Christian was a derogatory name. Yeah, which, uh, I don't know if everybody knows that story. Could you unpack that for anyone listening who might not know how the word Christian came about? Yeah, you know, one of the original terms associated with the um, Christians were, was just simply called the way. And that's from Acts chapter 9 when, um, uh, when Paul had his letters to arrest those Christians in Damascus who were followers of the way. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, with his uh, conversion. And it was probably the, um, probably the, the Pharisaic movement or um, the Jewish community that finally called them Christians who really believe Jesus is the Christ. And they didn't mean it as a compliment, because Jesus certainly didn't usher in the Messianic age in their perspective as Jews. Yeah, they're one of those Christians. Those Christians. Yeah, yeah. I hear, heard that before. It's kind of like, being like, oh, that little Christ, like, you know, someone's imitating somebody else. Like, oh, you're just trying to be little TJ. Well, why would you do that? <laughs> like that, yeah. Which, uh, I don't know, it's fascinating how many different names Christianity has taken on and over the years. I mean, in the Quran, they just refer to every Jew and Christian as people of the book. And it was like, oh, these are just people who studied the books. And it's just so weird because I don't think nowadays most people think of Christians as people who study a lot. Like, that's just not what crosses your mind. Like, it's like, oh, no, those are the atheists. And it's like, what is wrong with history? It's just all topsy-turvy sometimes, but. I think I'd much rather be called Wayne. Wayne? Yeah. Then we can Wayne. have Marlon Wayans. You know? uh, <laughs> man. So, um, 
Do you think it's just kind of the structure and the style of the worship that's what causes it? <laughs> no, every congregation, every congregation has their own freedom to be able to um, to develop their worship service as they see fit. Yeah. Predominantly, the most of them would follow that liturgical format. And here, here is a big shift. And here's again how Lutherans have the best theology. You know, the Catholic, the Catholic worship service, everything. Everything um, culminates in, in the communion service. Everything is secondary, but everything culminates at that communion mass. So when, when people say, oh, that priest wasn't a very good speaker, well, that's not a big deal for them. It is coming to that time of communion. Now, flip that to the other side, and you've got the Armenian side, the, the Baptist, Pentecostal, Assembly of God. They're, they're very low liturgical and low understanding of the sacraments. So their whole understanding was the word. You gotta preach the word. That's why their sermons are forty minutes long and they might have communion, you know, a couple times a year. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. How long are they all sermons? Well, mine's about twenty five. Wow. That sounds so but that's why we have word and sacrament. We've got both of them together. So you know, like Hannah Montana, best of both worlds. I, I've never heard it put that way, but um, but no, sure. No. <laughs> uh, you know, that's uh, think it's probably something not correct. You know, I remember I remember being at a, at a Pentecost um, worship service one time, and and the guy was up there with a guitar, and uh, he said uh, something like, um, "Hey, um, we're going to have something called uh, communion today." So I've got some grape juice and some crackers on either side. Go help yourself whenever you're ready. And I'm thinking, oh, really? <laughs> that understanding of communion would be just incredibly foreign that's to us. Lot, I think that's a lot further than most of our churches do. Yeah. We, you know, we at least you know, announce everyone knows what it is, and the pastor does his, um, take this bread, this bread, it's in the whole back of scripture, and describe what, yeah. why the bread is... How often do you receive it? How often do you have it? Um, we don't do it on like a time schedule, really. I think our church usually does it about once a month. Yeah. But not, not every service. Ours does it, I think, probably about once a month. Maybe once every two months. Yeah. So in the Catholic Church, of course, it's transubstantiation. The bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Christ. Right. And on that uh, Pentecostal Baptist side, it is a symbol mm -hmm. of Christ's body and blood. Again, here's where Lutherans find ourselves. We're right in the middle. We talk, we talk about the real presence. We say that Christ is in, with, and under the elements. He's truly present. Not a molecular change, but far more than some, some symbol of, uh, of bread and wine. So it's like he's just in between everything. Mysteriously okay. present in, with, Mysterious and under. Present there, right? yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Huh. So... You said a couple of times. So I just I do have to ask because everybody thinks you know our church has the best theology. Right? We do. No that's right. Ever, I mean, no one's going to sign up for their church if they didn't think <laughs> that. Um, how is it? How is that an obstacle for unity? Do you think? You know, do you think it's kind of a because you know most Pentecostals will say we have the best theology, and then obviously you think you have the best theology. Are we still able to come together and learn and grow? Just by, you know, everybody yep. wants to be proud of their own stuff. All right, here's where Lutherans have the best theology on that question again. Because there's a term I hope 
I hope that you will come to know and appreciate and work into every conversation you ever have from now on. Okay. The uh, term it's is, a it's only a challenge. The term is adiaphora. Uh, yep, it's that. definitely a challenge. All right, have you ever heard that term before, adiaphora? It sounds familiar, but yep. I, don't, I don't know it. It comes from the Lutherans. And um, adiaphora means those things that just don't make a difference. So, if you like traditional or contemporary music, you like a 45-minute sermon or an 8-minute sermon, if you like the liturgy or you don't like the liturgy, adiaphora. they're adiaphora. They're adiaphora. That's not something that you could just casually say like every day or someone's like, uh, where do you want to eat audio off? See? It works. <laughs> I can you probably can, do it. You can use it every day and you'll, and you'll sound so smart doing it. That's uh, that's actually Genius. a concept we've talked about before on the show. You just so didn't know it was Lutheran, did you? We didn't know it was Lutheran or we didn't know it was <laughs> audio opera. Uh, we refer to that as a tier system. Yeah, that's and, uh, uh, that's our bottom tier. Those are, the, back again. <laughs> those are the differences we have between each other that don't matter. Yeah, he's we can worship in the same building with those with differences. Yeah, right. The first tier point. differences was like um, the big stuff. Like, do we agree Jesus is Lord and Savior? How do we, do we believe the Bible is completely true? And then second tier was stuff where how should we worship and things like that. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, stuff that we, we can't go to the same church, but we can get along, you know. Right. But I hope the liturgy will probably We can have a Thanksgiving yeah. service together. And uh, then he was like, third tier, that's how you go to the same service and just... Uh, Service and so, like just pick on each other about it, even which me and my brother do. My brother's full on Calvinist, but he'll still come home and go to church with us and stuff. And See? I'm just like, hmm, all right, that's one of you I liked up there, huh? <laughs> so, if you're listening and you're tired of calling them tier three differences, you just call them audio. Yeah, yeah, and thank yeah. the Lutheran Church again. I guess, yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Just keep thanking them. That, that's all. Uh, do you have a mailing address? We could send a thank you notes to you. Oh, man. Uh, so uh, where did that kind of Catholic light, like, term, where do you think that originated? I don't know. It probably, I, I've only heard it from um, um, people that really don't know the Lutheran Church. Here, the Lutheran Church is um, originally comes from northern Germany and Scandinavia. And so those immigrants came to America in the late 1800s. Mm -hmm. They went through Ellis Island or they went through Philadelphia. They got in their stagecoaches and they went west until they got to a place that was just as cold and miserable as the place they came from. And that was Minnesota. Minnesota yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Minnesota and the five states around it that's the Scandinavian group, and you've got Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, the German groups. Um, that's where the Lutherans are, uh, are pretty, shall we say, dense. Right. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's much more compact up there. Right. Since, since it has sort of a more of a German origin, is there, are the buildings typically more Gothic in architecture? Yeah. yeah, I suppose. No, I suppose you're right. Yeah, this kind of. Um, I can really tell. Yeah. yeah, you know, I suppose a lot of those churches boomed post World War II. That's where a lot of the building happened, and they probably mimicked a lot of that kind of that traditional Gothic look to it. Because like, Gothic stuff is like all just points up, and I mean, it's just such a cool right. It's just an interesting architecture thing. So it's those who don't come from that Lutheran background or those or the states in which they have Lutherans. This, they're going to come here and say, 
what is that church? Well, it's a Lutheran church. What's a Lutheran? Like down the south, especially, uh, we're just not very yeah. strong here in the that, south. It's, you know, is there a Lutheran church right here? Baptist, no. Baptist and Pentecostal and and Presbyterian. Presbyterian is surprising. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, that's Catholic and Catholic line are not very prominent. <laughs> well, so, Catholic and Lutheran are especially not very... like Presbyterian are a lot more liberal in theology, which is weird in the South. Well, it depends on which which branch of yeah, Presbyterian. Now, like like I'm talking Lutheran. There is like ten different kinds of Lutherans out there too, much like Presbyterians. And there's like 300 different kinds of Baptists, aren't there? Yes, a million Absolutely. different kinds of Pentecostals. So um, yeah. of, the, of all the Lutherans, um, we're the largest church body in the country, ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. For instance, we, um, we've been ordaining women since 1970. Oh, wow. wow. So um, when we talk about the authority of Scripture... We use the uh, we use the word um, inspired, inspired, and um, what else about us? We um, how do I differentiate them? Well, it started out a lot of those Lutheran churches began in in ethnic backgrounds. There was a Norwegian, there was a Swedish, there was a German. Over the years, that has since kind of dissipated now. Yeah. But, you know, on this road right here, we've got a Missouri Synod and a Wisconsin Synod. And we don't talk very much together. Um, oh, the other, the other difference I was going to say is about communion. Whether or not you have an open table or a closed table. Now, the ELCA, we say, boy, if you believe that Christ is present and the forgiveness of sins takes place, you are welcome no matter what your church background is. There are other Lutheran church bodies that really would like it you need to be a part of that particular tribe of Lutherans. Right. Oh, that's when you get into the, the tribalism issues that I never really understood. Period. Yeah, they're just weird to me. Yeah. Like, well, what's the point? You know, let them, let them communion. But to their credit, uh, well, I mean, we don't espouse it, but to their credit, in the book of First uh, Corinthians, it says um, that these people were eating and participating in communion. Do you remember what it says? In an, unworthy, yeah, in an unworthy manner to their own damnation. And so it's not like we're being exclusive in their perspective. Yeah, right. They're saying we are actually protecting. protecting you so that you can receive it in a worthy manner. Now, we don't espouse on that, but that's their, that's their theological thinking. That's reasonable. It's reasonable. What's the term? Adiaphora? Yeah, Adiaphora. 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 That's going to flow yeah, from your lips. Oh, he'll never remember. I, I listen to our podcast. I never <laughs> You don't listen to it. I don't. You're just going to remember. Well, if you, but if you were to ask, I mean, if you, if you were to uh, get together for Halloween and you're giving out candy to the, to the kids and somebody says, oh, I heard your podcast and it was on Lutherans. What do those Lutherans believe? Easy. Four things. Okay. Here we go. There's a lot of audiophora, but four major things. If you could highlight audio, this was when you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> the first one, faith alone. Now, each one of these, each one of these came not in an ivory tower where Luther sitting by himself dreaming up stuff. It is in contrast or in rebuttal to the historical setting. So the first one. 
Um, think about this. If, if Luther said, no, 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 it's not that, it's faith alone. What do you suppose he was battling against when he said it's not that? Well, especially in that time, it was a lot more of a, you do this, this, and this. Works. Yeah. You do Correct. these works for the church, and then we will basically grant you salvation right. is kind of what it was like. Right, so Luther was told he, he didn't pray enough, he didn't worship enough, he didn't give enough, he didn't fast enough, he, he never thought it was enough. So he was saying eventually, no, 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 it's not those good works. It is faith alone. Which so, Paul also says in the Bible. Well, that's where Luther got it from, from uh, Romans. Yeah. The just shall live by faith, Romans one seventeen. Right, the second one. Okay. The second one. Grace alone. Now, think about the historical setting. If Luther said, no, 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 it's not that. It's grace alone. What is that? I'm not a theologian. I don't know why you're no, that. That's the answer also. It's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The answer is... It's the same thing. Well, it's very close. It's very close. The answer is today's date significance. It's the 95 Thesis. Oh. In which in which um, Luther wrote things on the 95 Thesis on, against the sale of indulgences. So the, the church was doing a fundraiser using indulgences to raise money for St. Peter's, and, and Luther had 95 reasons against the sale of indulgences. So, in other words, you can't buy and sell God's forgiveness like a sack of potatoes. Or, if the Pope can forgive sins, let him do it himself. Or... If you have to pay money, let the Pope spend his own money. So let me ask you a question. Okay. With the 95 Theses written, there's only two languages it could have been written in, right? German or Latin. Which one did he write it in, do you suppose? Think about the historical setting. Probably See, I'm, I'm torn. See, I'm, pardon me, I'll say Latin because that's what they did at the church. But then I'm like, you know, I could also see Luther being like, hey, you guys are wrong. And to prove it, here it is in German. Right. Yeah. So if he had written it in German, who would have been the intended audience? Germans. The German people. The average hoi polloi out there, right? Yeah. If he had written it in Latin, the intended audience would have been? The clergy. Yeah. Clergy, the academics, the church. Yeah. Um, he wrote it in... Latin, because he, because he wasn't thinking he was um, going to get all these people behind him as a grassroots movement. He thought he was a, an honest whistleblower. He thought they were pulling a fast one in the church, and he was going to tell the hierarchy, whoa, do you know what's going on over here? They're selling a piece of paper for the forgiveness of sins. We need to really address this. Now, the church read this, and called him a heretic, and Luther's friends took it down, translated it into German, and used the brand new invention called to be able to distribute this across the world. He was the first mass producer. At one time, Luther penned two-thirds of all the printed material in Germany. Two-thirds of it. He had a printing press in the basement of his university. Wow. And he flooded the That's market. Fast. What year was that? Well, 1517 was the 95 Thesis. So between that and his death. That's like a 50-year gap where they like, got a right. printing press. That's really fast. 
Yeah. Those invented in France. So we got, we got, what was the first one? Faith alone. Faith alone. Grace alone. The third one is word alone. So think about that. Luther said, no, 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 that's not that. It's word alone. What is that? Well, I don't want to say tradition. tradition. Yeah, because yeah. we, we just talked to uh, Father Pat the Catholic Church yesterday. We actually talked a lot about the different views of authority of Scripture. We talked about Sola Scriptura, Prima Scriptura, and he didn't really have a name for the, 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 the tradition. How they view it. Yeah, they were like, yeah, we just believe in both, and it comes from the Spirit. And said, okay. So Luther thought, Luther thought there were three sources for authority. Um, the Pope, the Bible, and tradition or canon law. Yeah. And he said, well, canon law has oftentimes contradicted itself. The Pope is only human. All we have left is the word alone. So we say the word uh, is the final authority in matters of faith and life. No other author, either, either ancient or contemporary, should be put on par, but seen and interpreted through the light of Scripture. The word alone. So, okay. the authority is the word. The word. So, it, all of these other Protestant denominations that talk about, we believe in the Bible, we believe in the Bible, they can thank us. Thank the Lutherans again. They can thank the Lutherans again. <laughs> and they're, <laughs> they're all Lutherans. They just don't know it. <laughs> okay. Right? So, the last one does make me want to call it that. <laughs> Faith alone, grace alone, word alone. And if I was doing it, it would be something alone. But they didn't ask me. The fourth one is the priesthood of all believers. Now, that's what I'm big on. Everyone alone. Yeah, everyone alone. So if Luther is saying it's the priesthood of all believers, what is it saying? No, 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 it's not that. What is that? The clergy? Yeah. Right. There's a very strict hierarchy. The Pope, the Cardinals, the bishops, the priests, and then, and then as you say around here, all y'all. All y'all. <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. And all y'all have to do whatever all y'all do to support the hierarchy. And Luther, what he did was he leveled the playing field. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't telling everybody to become a priest. But the doctor has the calling to do healing. The teacher has the calling to teach creatively and, and accurately. The stay-at-home parent is to bring nurturing. The pastor is to do word and sacrament. The business person is to do business in an ethical way. So by each one of us living out our callings, we become little priests or little Christs to one another. And we become the priesthood of all, be all believers. And what Luther did that really upset the hierarchy is he said everybody has a calling, not just the ones with the collars. Right. And that's something our denomination believes. See? And I'm not sure Say thank you. Everyone believes it. <laughs> I'm not sure if everyone denomination like ours believes it but we do and uh, we talk about it a lot on the show especially because it's i use that phrase a whole lot yeah yeah well, especially you know as we're doing this priests are all believers this is what we're well, so a lot of like the, the small groups and home groups and um they do home churches and like that whole movement's kind of going on now a lot of that does pull from yeah the idea of priesthood of all believers which that's kind of taking it one step further. Whether you think it's right or wrong, that's sort of what they're doing. Mm. They're just kind of taking that phrase. Um, 
Make me think of it, which we've, we've read it plenty of times on the podcast, but I just love it. It's uh, Ephesians 4, and verse 25 says, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, who are all members of one another. And he goes on to say, uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spirits, tongues and singing, and making melodies with your heart to the Lord, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And the whole four and five are all just about all the believers and what church looks like. It's all one another, speaking to one another, singing with one another. In the priesthood of all believers, right? I thought you were going to read the text in Ephesians 4 where, uh, it's, where it says that some are called to be teachers and apostles and some are called to be evangelists. Right before that, I believe. In order to build up the body of Christ so that, so our job with each other is to build up the body of Christ so they're no longer children tossed to and fro. Um, that is really the, the idea is about equipping the body of Christ, to live out their calling. Because how can you expect to be a Christ-led world if the only place where people led to Christ are in, is in the church? Right. If and we're the keepers. Right. Yeah. The keepers of grace. So we got 4.15. And that's uh, 15 and 16. It's uh, speaking truth and love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And this is the end of the section you were talking about. Yep. Being teachers and all that. So it's from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by yet by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So it's by body, for the body, with the headship of Christ. Good. Now if there is a um, a verse for Lutheran, stay there. Um, go to Ephesians two, I think it's eight and nine or something. All right. It's uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So grace alone, through faith alone. It's not your own doing. <laughs> not of your, yeah, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, God alone. Not as the result of works, so that no one may boast. Yeah. Now that could be a proof text for Lutherans, and um, and I, and, I, and I'll say this again. It, it's it's not that we're the exclusive holders of this truth. I think. Most of these Protestants would believe and agree with the same thing. Here's another thing about Lutherans. We, this is surprising to some, we do believe there's salvation outside the Lutheran church. We are just, <laughs> yes, we are just the big toe of the entire body of Christ. Um, so we are the leaders of ecumenical work around the country. So we, um, we really do acknowledge um, salvation and and um, the body of Christ working outside of our tribe, which is uh, really important for what we do. Right, the whole thing about what we do. Yeah. For unifying yeah. with one another. Yeah. Because you can't unify with one another if you don't believe the others are actually being saved. Well, you met with one another. We just uh, only acknowledge the ones here. That's how we know we're unified. We're all here. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, <Yes. laughs> uh, uh, man. But, uh, so. We obviously mentioned him a lot this episode, but uh, how important is Martin Luther to your everyday service? Is the history of Martin Luther? Well, I suppose we have to be somewhat careful um, quoting Luther too often. I feel that way about C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> um, because he'll be the first one, and I'll be the second one to, um, to admit that he was a fallen, broken, sinful person. They, um, they wouldn't let Luther write most of the Lutheran confessional writings because he was so 
crude and bombastic in his writing against personal individuals, blasting them in a in a just a degrading way. Also, uh, he um, he did some awful awful writings against the Jews. That um, that the ELCA, the, the Lutheran Church, has publicly apologized. I mean, he said some awful things. Now, it wasn't that Luther was anti-Semitic per se. He really reflected the culture of the times that was anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. It would be like coming down the South in the 1950s about, um, boy, should we have two different water fountains? Should we have two different schools? Should we have two different bathrooms for whites and blacks? I don't think a lot of people would realize that they really were racist. You but they that time and asked them. They'd probably say, time? of course not. No, yeah. no. There's your bathroom. Here's my bathroom. Yeah. But so how's Luther, that racist? Really? Yeah, how's that racist? So Luther just was reflecting the anti-Semitic of his time. He wasn't, but we still apologize in 1999, I think it was. That Good said, year. was it? Is that what's wrong? Yeah. Jeez, please. Yeah, right. yeah ties that old. Yep. <laughs> I forget how much younger you are. That's crazy. The pivotal point, the pivotal point in the Protestant Reformation, it came at um, um, a trial called the Diet of Worms. You ever heard of that one? Sounds disgusting. It is. Try to teach that to confirmation class. The Diet of Worms. Okay, Diet is a trial. Worms was a city in Germany. In which finally, at the height of the Reformation, Luther um, was given um, safe access to travel because he was a wanted man. He was determined that he was a heretic. Anybody could have killed Luther on sight at that time. But his prince in his district kept him safe. But he was given free access, safe access to the city of Worms to go on trial. Now he thought, he thought it was actually a trial. You're going to talk, I'm going to talk, the judge is going to decide it wasn't a trial. The trial began by saying, are these your books? Luther said, yep, they're all my books. We have already decided that they contain heresy. <laughs> Only one question, do you recant or not? And Luther got up and said, can I sleep on him? And then never came back? No. Oh, he, was, <laughs> he was 38 years old, and he was standing up against the most powerful institution and men in the world. In the world. And he was going to tell them at 38 years old, you're all wrong, and I'm right. He said, can I sleep on him? He almost cracked. Goes back to his room, doesn't sleep the night. He writes out his prayer, and it's just, he is overwhelmed by um, anxiety and fear and the devil. And finally he writes, this is no longer about me. It's not about Martin Luther. It's about truth. And truth is truth, whether or not they come from my sinful lips. So the next day he goes to the trial and they say, Luther, are these your books? He says, those are my books. We have already decided that they contain heresy. Do you recant? And he says, well, you know, some of them are good and some of them are a little too personal. I'm sorry for those. They cut him off again. They say, do you recant or not? He finally said, you want an answer? I'll give you an answer. Unless 
I am convinced by scripture and sound reason. For I do not trust popes and councils that have often contradicted each other. Unless I am convinced by scripture and sound reason, I cannot, and I will not recant. If you show me where I am wrong, I'll be the first one to throw my books in the Bible. But I'm not a heretic simply because the Pope says I'm a heretic. I can't do anything else except stand on the word of God. And then he said, here I stand. God help me. And the Reformation really takes wind after that. That's big. That's big. Yeah. I, um, which, disclaimer, a lot of that stuff that the Catholic Church was doing isn't what they do today. Isn't necessarily what they do today. Good. Good. Just so people who are listening know. Right. We're yeah. good friends with Father Pat. We like them. But, uh, what they were at that time, we're not a fan of. Most Catholics will look back to the early 1500s and say, yep. We were highly, highly corrupt. They had their own Reformation of sorts in the late 1500s. So I'm not bashing Catholics. Oh, yeah. No, I just... No, you have to agree with this. Really good point. They understood their own um, shortcomings Things. later on that century. They've made incredible progress. Yeah, most, most things do. In yeah. Yeah. It was just... It's just yes, interesting historically. It was like, oh, wow. Because it looked like it was going... To be growing worse and worse, and yeah. not, I, honestly, I, if I had to say, I would think the Reformation probably helped the Catholic Church more than it hurt. Oh, them. absolutely. Yeah. But now you're in a you're, you're really a good timely uh, moment here for your podcast and what you're doing because there was a theologian, I think it was Phyllis Tickle, who put out a book about Reformation every 500 years, and it was like almost every 500 years. There is a major shift going on in the world Christianity. So we had the 1,000. We had the a whole monastic movement that really solidified Christianity there. 1500s, of course, was Martin Luther. We're at that 2,000 mark right now that something is brewing. We're seeing church attendance just decimate across the country. We're seeing more and more people claiming to be atheists and agnostics. Um, people who are, who are defining themselves as active Christians going to church once a month and thinking that is, I'm all in. Something's happening now that we're trying to figure out. Well, there's that. The flip side, you have all these minor movements, even within Christianity. But the, um, some of them, I, I think, are probably good. The whole reform theology movement's really interesting to me. I don't know a lot about it. It's really interesting that and the whole home group movements got a lot of little stuff going on, and interesting to see what happens. We live at a good time. Probably what's happening right now is that with church attendance and membership going down, probably what's happening is all those lukewarm Christians are leaving, saying, "You know, I really don't need it. It's not a societal pressure to do it anymore." And what we've got left are the remnant, and the ones that are all. In. And they're saying, something's got to change. We need a new way of doing theology and church. And all those things you mentioned are new ways of creating this whole new uh, movement that's going on right now. This is an exciting time. Oh, well, that's, uh, is it the, we talked some about it on the last podcast, the, uh, the Second Council of the Vatican. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's just, Second Vatican. how does um, 
their communication look different now with what they believe. And I think the Protestant church, we don't have anything official with that, but I do think you see church changing with how we communicate. You know, we have online sermons. It's crazy. You would have never thought of that 500 years ago. Really? Uh, That's an understatement. Uh, they wouldn't have been, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have more so people. What else? We have more people at least um, touching base on Sunday morning online than we do attendance in, in church on Sunday. Now, they may not watch the whole service. It may be a short amount of time, but yeah, it's changing rapidly. So we're going to be launching a new campus, hopefully this year, Christ Online. It's going to wow. be a virtual campus. We've got three campuses now. This will be a fourth one. So you read a book about virtual church. Like back when I was at CSU, it's probably about four or five years ago. You read a book or you wrote a book? Read. Yeah. It was really interesting. Just the fact that that is something that's starting to surface. Well, you know, back with, back with the Billy Graham, um, people were wondering, can you really have a worship service by watching it on TV? And Billy Graham answered the question, yes. And his crusades then <laughs> yes. took off with all the television coverage they have. And then we asked the question, can people really pray with them? You can watch, but can you actually pray with somebody? And I don't know, a lot of those televangelists, as, as murky as they were in the 1980s, they really taught us, yeah, you can pray with people that are not physically in the same room. Now we're asking the question, can we create a community of people who are not physically in the same room? And we're asking those same questions, and I think we're coming to the same answer. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of community, but we're creating that as well. That, yeah, that's, that's something that's definitely uh, growing. Well, especially yeah. us being part of the younger generation. That's it's something I, I, I've said before on the podcast. I've said on the Marine Dolores' podcast, Pastor of a Dying Church. We're on episode two if y'all decided to listen to that. But uh, they that's where people are now, you know? Where, if you're going to go where people are, like Jesus said, more people are online than anywhere else. That's mm -hmm. where everybody's at. And I've, I've got several people that I would consider good friends that I've literally never met before. What? Yeah. Good friends. friends. Yes, good friends. Maybe we have different definitions of good friends. How are good friends? You never met them. I've never met them in person. Have you told them secrets? <laughs> Things that you wouldn't tell other people. Yes. Wow, that's just... That is, it's that's not that word, Yeah, yeah. I, suppose. I suppose. So interesting. Yeah. But... Uh, is there anything else about the Lutheran liturgy that you believe we should know? Like what's a, what's a, your typical service like? Uh, well, we've got um, three campuses and five services, and not two of them are the same. gift shop. It's the craziest thing. I've never seen, seen, like, seen, seen the church with a gift shop. That's, that blew my mind. Um, I saw some ornaments on all, <laughs> all five of them are very different. So here's where, here's where that we've got a lot of freedom to be able to shape that, um, that worship service however fits the demographics of where the campus is. But I'll say this. Um, there's a liturgical flow to it. And what I mean by that is that it's not just, it's not just an opening song, a 40-minute sermon, um, an offering, a closing song, go by. You got the altar service. How many minute songs? <laughs> just, just one song, you said? A couple of songs. Yeah. 30 minutes, though. All right, is it a 30 minute song? All right, just one song. <laughs> <laughs> and over. And, and over. Yeah, just one song for 30 minutes. minutes. But my point is, no matter all these services we have here, there's a flow 
that that leads there's a natural flow opening song to gather the people in there's a time of confession that we enter into the presence of god not with a swagger but on our knees um, seeking his mercy and seeking his grace and then that opens us up to hear god's word through the reading of the word and through the sermon and through that edification we go into the communion and we receive this body broken, this blood shed, and then sent out at the end, saying, Go in peace and serve the Lord. And we all people say, Thanks be to God. So we are brought in in order to be sent out into all the world. So there's that flow. So people, people that come from a liturgical background, whether it's Catholic, Episcopal, or Lutheran, they'll come in there and say, Oh, I recognize that. There's a natural flow. For those who don't come from a liturgical background, like like you guys, yeah. they're going to say, "Wow, there's something different about this. It works. It it gains momentum. It moves us in a direction to be able to be uh, released into the world to make difference." All right, Um, so I have just a spot here in case you had anything else you needed to say about the Lutheran. <laughs> Faith, um, I know you already covered the four highlights. Is there anything else we need to know about Lutherans? Well, we're also um, leaders in the world for ecumenical conversation and um, in unity. We, um, we're in conversation with most major denominations in terms of having shared communion practices and shared pulpits. Right. Uh, they're theologians, our theologians. And then we vote on it. So we're leaders in the world in ecumenical work. Second of all, we're leaders in the world when it comes to service. Um, when Hurricane Katrina hit, Lutheran World Relief was the first ones there and the last ones to leave. Most of the time when we have these um, natural disasters around the country, Lutheran World Relief is the first one in and the last one to leave. We're not there to evangelize. We're not holding back water unless you accept Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. It is giving, giving for those in need. Say the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, say it. Say it. <laughs> no. Or we build your house. Uh, so we're, we're, um, we're huge in that service into all the world. That's, right. that's awesome stuff. Especially, it's um, something we're sort of starting to work on, trying to communicate with churches in the Charlotte area, yeah. which kind of, we want to get like a picnic or a, a luncheon, yeah, conference, yeah, or a conference. That's what I was looking for. But some of the different leaders in the area just kind of sit down and figure out what can we do to be more united right here in Charlotte. So we started, um, I guess, like a Instagram, Twitter thing, or Facebook, uh, just the hashtag Whole Church Charlotte, and uh, calling it kind of like Mission Unite Charlotte is what I'm calling it. So, that's what I'm, I'm looking for. So it's really cool that you guys are already kind of doing that stuff. So like, that has my interest. Thank you, Lutherans, yeah. for... Yeah. Once again, once again, you are all Lutherans. You just don't know. I had no idea. Surprise, you're Lutheran. <laughs> all right, other so, stuff you, you do in practice is what? Tadiafra. Tadiafra. You're a Lutheran. But if you disagree with me, everything that's all different is just Tadiafra. Whatever. All right, so I think you answered a lot of these questions already. So there are going to be some repeat questions. Sure. But we are going to do a speed round, which is where I'm going to just ask you a series of questions. If you can answer them in one sentence or less, yes, no, works. A phrase, huh? Yeah. Applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that one calls. One sentence or less. All right. And you do it. Jeez, if you don't think you can answer it that quick, just say pass, and I'll go to the next question. And All right. We'll see that. My favorite color? The rule for me is I'm not allowed to have a... 
Isn't that Monty Python? Oh, What's your favorite color? What is it? Uh, red for the Reformation. Easy answer. But the uh, yeah, the only rule my half is I'm not allowed to ask any follow-up questions, which is more difficult for me. So I usually have TJ do it, but uh, I don't think he can read my shorthand. So got it. I'm just one to try this. It's literally just authority. Um, all right. So and uh, you can tell me when to go. Ready, set. Go. All right, so uh, what or who do Lutherans view as the main authority of their faith? Jesus. All right. Um, how do Lutherans view the authority of Scripture? We use the only word that the Scripture uses for, to describe itself, inspired. All right. Um, do Lutherans believe in speaking in tongues? Yes, because it's biblical. Rarely is it is it um, expressed. Uh, uh, which like, answers the next question already. Is that how about the other spiritual gifts? Probably the same thing, right? Yes, we're all uh, for spiritual gifts. Um, do you believe in continual salvation or sanctification? That's not an issue or topic that we generally wrestle with. Adiós. Oh yeah, that, that's a good one-word answer. Alright, uh, you definitely already answered this. Calvinism or Arminian? We are the best of right in the middle. Alright, uh, what is the importance Calvinian. of baptism in the Lutheran faith? It is central. Name, claim, forgiven as a child of God. Alright, um, what does the Lutheran Church believe about the Eucharist? Definitely already covered that. Yeah. Um... In the middle, is more than a symbol, less than transubstantiation, in, with, and under, is our view. Alright, um, two more. Uh, how do you feel about members of other churches joining your sacraments? Oh, the sacraments. Oh, yeah, as long as you believe that Christ is present and the forgiveness of sins takes place, you are welcome to receive. What Luther said that makes the sacrament work is not just digesting, but the believing heart. All right. And then one last one. Uh, how do you view the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church? We only have two. Uh, we have baptism and communion as sacraments. Um, the other five, um, we say a sacrament is a sacrament if it's, if it's um, commanded by Jesus, and there's a promise of a new life, and an earthly element. All right. Those are all on communion and baptism, not on the other five. Okay. That was a complex sentence. Yeah, that was, that was very but that complex, complex sentence. <laughs> but it was a good one. All right. I think that's, it. that's all we have for speed round. I did want to say, however, since it's after the speed round, we're allowed to ask follow-up questions. Uh, at what age do you does the Lutheran Church believe a baptism should happen? Is that a thing? Yeah. Most of our baptisms are done as infants. Okay. So like the Catholic Church. Like the Catholic Church. Like most of Christianity. Right. You want to get into the reasons, or is that too long? Uh, that's sure. Fine. You can if you want. That's fine with us. We have time. Yeah, there's, there's three major reasons. First of all, it's biblical. In the book of Acts, when whole households are being baptized. Now, is my infant child a part of my household? I would say yes. I would say yes. Chores, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Second. I usually think we keep them outside. <laughs> the second is um, uh, baptism... 
is to Christianity, which circumcision was to Judaism. And circumcision was done on the eighth day of the boy's life. He was not asked whether or not he would like to be circumcised. In fact, he probably would have said, no, thank you. <laughs> because, because in circumcision and in baptism, it's not about us acting. It's not about us choosing. It's not about us doing. God is the primary and only actor in baptism, naming, claiming us as his very own, just as it was in circumcision. The third one is a historical argument. In the year 200, about in the year 200, infant baptism just slowly morphs into the writings of the early Christian churches. Crazy. Right? No, let me ask you the question. If it just slowly emerges, morphs into the writing of the early church father, what does that suggest what happened before that? Not infant baptism? Circumcision? Just the opposite. They fought about everything. They fought about everything in the early church. Now, if, if infant baptism just slowly morphs in there, the assumption is it had always been there from the very beginning. And if, it, and if by 200 it was, an, it was an anomaly, they would have fought like cats and dogs about it. But the fact that it just eases into the historical writing suggests... It's not an aberration from what was done in the early, early church. Baptism is such an interesting topic. They were baptizing before Jesus, which blows my mind. There was a it's Jewish rite. Yeah. There was a Jewish rite so, of washing yeah. so that the non-Jew, the Gentile, could become as close to a Jew as possible. Mm -hmm. Called a God fear. That's, awesome. That's what John the Baptist, of course, was awesome. doing. Our church sort of does like an infant dedication which yeah. I guess is sort of like that. Then but nothing happens. Baptism. But nothing happens at that no, baptism, they, does it? No, we dedicate ourselves to the church, and then later we choose to get baptized when we believe we're ready. Yeah. Right. But, then, um, but even, at, even ready. then, even then, nothing actually happens at that yeah. baptism. It's all about TJ. I've accepted. I've chosen. I've decided. And now, as a public testimony of this, I'm going to go through this symbolic act. Now, people want a radically different view. We should read uh, Frank Viola's writing on uh, baptism. He uses scripture and a few different historical things, and he tries to make the argument that baptism in that time of the Bible was what the Lord, like the uh, salvation, Lord's prayers today. Like the uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how he gets to it. That yeah, is interesting. I don't think we have time for that on the podcast, yeah. but you should definitely look up Frank Viola's writing just just for the sake of seeing a different side of an argument, I guess. But in, the, in that liturgical church, Episcopal, Lutheran, Catholic, something actually happens at baptism. Sinner's prayer, not Lord's prayer. Sinner's prayer. Okay, that's what I was something trying to say. actually happens there. Now, we're not saved through baptism. The Reformers did not live and die on salvation by baptism alone. Salvation by faith alone. But we also want to say that God is doing the naming and claiming and forgiving of that infant before they even come to him. And they shower him or her with that grace. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. So those are all the questions we have about Lutheranism. Is that it? Good job. <laughs> uh, it is. We couldn't think of it anymore. But we can do a second episode if you want. There's always much more to uh, talk about. Man, I just I gotta say I love how it's like passionate, excited you are. Like it's like something comes up and you see your. 
they can't see listening. His face like lights up, and he's like, about that. Luther is ready, man. I Do you know that. that Luther is the second most written about person in all of human history? Really? That's pretty Who's crazy. One choice. Jesus. Jesus. That is pretty crazy. I always felt like I'd be really good friends with Luther if he like lived near him. Yeah, have you ever read some of like what he wrote to other people in letters? Oh, yeah, bombastic. That's, that's why I feel like we'd be I love, I love it. He's just, he's so aggressive. I was like, wow. Everything about him, it just seems so funny to me. Now, that's this one, this one, The Bondage of the Will, The Bondage of the Will <laughs> was written um, against Erasmus. I think it was Erasmus. And, and Luther, Luther finally said, Erasmus, you're the only person who gets it. And you're wrong. <laughs> you understand. You're the only smart person and you're wrong. You, you are like carrying dung on a silver platter. It looks so good, but it stinks so much. That was the way he wrote. Yeah, That's I, why we did, he didn't like him. I love yeah, I think I'd be great friends with Mark. <laughs> <laughs> just everything he does is like hilarious. Him. I would love to meet him. Yeah. You know how funny that is? Like, yeah. oh, they're <laughs> selling salvation? I'm going to ride a list about that. That's dumb. <laughs> dumb idea. <laughs> I'm going to nail it to their door. <laughs> now, did you talk to a priest about indulgences? We did not. Oh, yeah, we'll do it next time. Do it. Ask him. Definitely plan on moving in again. Because they they still do indulgence today. They just don't do it in such a um, uh, per, perverse way that they did the Reformation. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not. They're not doing the same way. But there's still indulgences today. So that being said, uh, do you see any way to practically unite Charlotte the way we talked about earlier? The church is in Charlotte. Yeah, specifically. Not completely unite. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, just know that someone who either goes to your church or our yeah. church, something that an individual could practically do. You know, I am I am all for having these um, um, these conversations, all for um, ecumenical working together like this, because we're stronger together than we are separate. However, what I also say is that historically speaking, the church gets stronger. When it divides, it gets weaker when it unites. The church got stronger when Luther divided away from the Catholic Church. And every time there was another branch of Protestantism from that Lutheran root, every time it broke, it, it got stronger. Because, because um, God is able to use our brokenness our inability to sit in the same room and worship with another person. God uses our brokenness to God's benefit. Not everybody is going to like the Lutheran liturgical worship. Not everybody's going to like the Pentecostal. Not everybody's going to like the Catholic one. Thank goodness now we've got a thousand different ways to be able to worship the same God. If we were closer to being one church, like there was up at Luther's time, there's only one show in town. There's only the Catholic Church. No other choice. But now that we have choices, we can be stronger because we can reach more people. Yeah. And the other stuff is Adiaphra. But, uh, see, it makes me think of the very early church, Paul and Peter. They obviously didn't agree a lot of times, a lot of debate, but were so able to come together when they needed to. Yes. So how, how do we do that? 
How do we disagree and so come together? Well, perhaps one of the biggest times in which they disagreed and came together was, was when Paul was going out on his missionary journeys. And they sent him out and said, okay, Paul, we're going to train you how to do this yeah. and, and how, to become, um, how to become a Christian. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow Mosaic law. You've got some certain dietary restraints and some festivals. So Paul says, God, I learned my lesson. He goes out into the field, and by golly, <laughs> these Gentiles have their own festivals, and they like their BLTs. <laughs> and this whole circumcision thing, just not going to cut it with them. Also, the first one that says, not that, but faith alone. Right. And so Paul has to come together and say, this is what's happening out in the field. I know it's working in the classroom, but out in the field, I'm telling you, that stuff doesn't matter. This is what matters. Christ alone. Yeah. And I think that's probably the strategy. All right. Getting back to Christ alone. All right. All right, so uh, with that, so I thought you were going to ask him what the repercussions of that would be. All right, so um, we just have a couple of last segments we do. One is just for our patrons, which we'll do after the outro. Okay. But uh, one that we do for everybody, we just like having what we call the God Moment of the Week. It's not really of the week for us. Sometimes it's several weeks since we've recorded. This time it's been a day since we've recorded. But uh, just something that God's done in recent history in your life, uh, whether it's just a good worship moment or something you've been challenged with in the Word or something that's enlightened you, like talking to a Lutheran pastor for the first time. <laughs> that can't be mine, can it? Um, uh, it can, uh, but I think it's cheating. Ah, uh, okay. All Especially right. if I say it first. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we usually yeah, we usually go first. Um, I mean, there's so many. You, you took one of mine last time. It's not my fault. It happened to me, too. <laughs> Man... Well, I'll go since you don't yeah, know. I'm trying to think. So, uh, my my God moment of the week uh, since yesterday has been uh, a, a feeling of apology that was granted to me because I recently convinced my mother that I was colorblind. <laughs> Hilarious story, but uh, <laughs> I was reading to my nephew and reading his color book because he's one and a half, learning his colors. I was like, "Brids, tell me what these are. I can't see them." And she thought I was being serious. So she feels bad because she thought she didn't know I was colorblind for the past 20 years. And it's a genetic disorder which might come from her, huh? Right. I have passed this on to my children. And uh, <laughs> so she feels bad, and that makes me feel bad. But, uh, this is my public apology. I am going to keep pretending that I'm colorblind for the next two weeks. So she can hear you apologize. <laughs> yeah. On the podcast. That's probably mine. Just because I think it's hilarious, but is your God moment also a joke? Yes. All right. God moment can be anything. Yeah, yeah. If you see God in the moment, then I think for me, we started a. My, my, I'm getting married in, I want to say ninety four days, somewhere in the low nineties. I can't count. Yeah, it's it's soon. So uh, my pastor gave me and my fiance the marriage counseling workbook that he does with everybody. And we're supposed to meet and talk with him. Next week, I think we're supposed to meet with him. But uh, going through the book, and it you know it has stuff like, what do you think your answers for this is? What do you think your her answers for this are? 
And I don't know, it was very enlightening to me to, because a lot of stuff I just don't think about. Like, I don't think oh, yeah. how different my family is from her family. I just, it just is. You know, like, I don't think about it. And I'm like, oh, wow, it's crazy. And it, it helped me see a lot of um, push and pull in our relationship, I guess, where I realized the places that I'm, I'll say casual, I'm very laid back, when she's more go for it. And I'm like, you know, seeing how that kind of works, where it's good that we're different in those areas, because otherwise, if we were both just laid back, we probably wouldn't do much of anything. <laughs> I'm very glad we're not so similar. And, you know, I kind of layered that onto church and just thinking about, you know, I think it's really great that there's so many different styles of worship and stuff where, you know, I think... For me, being at a Pentecostal church is almost challenging because I am very, I'm structured and I'm book person, you know, that's just how I am when I get close to God and it challenges me to be somewhere that's a lot less like that and more in tune with the spirit and I'm like, I think that's that's good for me and I'm just thinking how nice it is that the church has all these different places where you can go and worship so many different ways and get close to God and all these places still agree on the Bible and that's a lot of what we talked about yesterday and it's just... Oh, no, it's nice. Yeah. I guess mine's more of a praise. I usually do challenges. <laughs> God let me off this week, guys. <laughs> I think mine, mine would be um, the great privilege it is to be a pastor. I don't know of any other profession that they allow you in on all the different milestones of your life. So this past week I was... Um, visiting this um, you know, baby girl born six weeks early and going to be in there for a while. She's not life-threatening, but to be able to be there with the family and, and to say, you know, um, and say a prayer there. And, um, and then to be able to um, lead worship with the greatest story ever told. But then um, last week uh, we had a 47-year-old woman die, leukemia, three little kids. And it was just a horrendous two years, horrendous. Um, and um, and to be able to sit with the family, and and to to remember those words, um, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me, not just for me, but all who eagerly await his coming. And to be and to be able to talk to her in the last days of her life and tell her, well done. Well done. You have kept the faith. She ended up ministering to everybody around them and saying, I'm going to be okay. She kept the faith. She finished strong. She fought the good fight. She finished strong. And most importantly, that um, she was able to keep the faith for the whole time. Uh, and then they, they, they gather around the family and say, yeah, we grieve. But we don't grieve as those do who have no hope. Ours is a sure and certain hope. The tears are real. The hole is gaping. But we know that because Jesus lives, so do we. So we don't grieve as those do who have no hope. Well, thanks for coming to Christ Lutheran Church. I tell you which church? Christ Lutheran Church here in Charlotte and Providence Road. Come and see us. Also, send your thank you letters there. Send your thank you letters to Because you are Lutheran. P.O. Boston. No. So, uh, 
if you've made it this far, congratulations, you get to hear the outro. Uh, thank you. Uh, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram if you aren't already. And running our Twitter again. And we're awful at it. <laughs> Joshua runs our Twitter and we need someone else to do it. Because yeah, I, I don't know how to run a Twitter right now. Please consider yeah. supporting us on Patreon if you would like what we do here. And yeah, you know, um, with that. Yeah. What else? We just uh, we have guests. We have guests. But uh, come up there. Who is next? That is Reverend tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow we're recording with uh, Reverend Kino Cannon. Yeah, I thought you told me his name was tomorrow. Like, that doesn't sound. Yeah, right. his name is tomorrow. Yeah, Reverend Kino from uh, an Amy Zion Church here oh. in Charlotte. Yeah, we're gonna get to speak with him. Which should be either next week or the week after. We're also speaking to Chris Brissy and Brother McLaughlin about ageism in the church. And Alicia Magnus. Yeah. And Alicia Magnus. Are we allowed to mention? Probably. Yes. You <laughs> said probably. Probably. Um, yeah. And we have Sister Rose. Sister Rose coming up as well as Matt Moorhead from Wilmington, North Carolina. Matt Moorhead. Uh, we have Brother Jeff White from our denomination. Yeah. And of course, uh, at the end of this season, we will have Francis Chan, who just doesn't know it yet. Right. He'll get it eventually. Oh, yeah. Ha, ha, ha.